Hello and welcome to the Permission to Eat podcast. I'm your host, Libby Parker, registered dietitian and coach for those wanting to have a life beyond an eating disorder. If you're looking for a no-nonsense pep talk with a dose of science and probably a few theater references, you're in the right place. Let's jump right into today's episode. We're back for another episode in our intuitive eating series. So again, intuitive eating, the concept book by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Raich is what we're talking about with my personal take on it and how I talk about it in my book, Permission to Eat. So today we're talking about movement and exercise, feel the difference. So what is the difference when we think about the terms exercise and movement? Because essentially they're the same thing, right? We're moving our body. So we want to think about how are you framing this physical activity? And that's really the difference, right? So if our focus is on calorie burning, competition, weight loss, uh, grinding it out, that is the thought of using it as exercise or the calorie burning side of it versus exercising for our well-being and feeling good in our body, right? So we're going to be talking about a lot of different things about exercise in relation to our mindset and eating disorders in this episode. We're going to go kind of all over the board and I apologize if this um, feels a little sporadic, but I feel like there's a lot that needs to be said on this topic. And this is going to be just a very tiny taster of talking about exercise um, in general and from an eating disorder lens. Um, I also have some different takes on it than what is in the book. Um, The book really does seem to focus on people who are not currently regular exercisers and encouraging people to get moving, which of course is a thing and movement when done for the appropriate reasons is absolutely wonderful. I got my workout in this morning and it was glorious and with people and outside and my body feels good. But there's the flip side of it where most of the clients that I work with are actually over-exercisers. So we're going to talk about that as well. With The way that diets have gone, so we're in 2021 when I'm recording this, and right now the majority of the fad diets that are on the market or being talked about are low carb. So we have the ketogenic diet, paleo, I don't even know what else right now, but there's a lot of these low carb diets out there, and that's just really... I mean, there's not a good idea for so many reasons. We're meant to consume a lot of carbohydrates, but if we're thinking about how our food impacts our activity levels, carbohydrates are preferred fuel source. They're the preferred fuel source for movement, exercise, activity, however you want to say that, in the body. And just to give you a real brief summary of why that is, is when we eat food, you know, um, I could go into a lot of detail on this, but We break down our food into molecules that go into the bloodstream, then they get dropped off wherever they need to go. And so carbohydrates, they, when they get into our bloodstream and are being sent around our body as we want them to, 
They first are going to the cells for immediate use, so wherever they are needed in our body. And I believe there's only two types of cells in the whole human body that don't require carbohydrates. And they're definitely not in our skeletal muscles that we use for exercise. It's like something I think in our retina of our eye and something else, like very minimal amount of cells that these are. But basically, if you think back to your high school biology class, the mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell, is using carbohydrates broken down into those single sugars, such as glucose, and creating ATP or energy with them, which is how our cells are doing all the things they need to do. And when we think about that in terms of our skeletal muscles, which are the muscles that allow us to have movement in whatever whatever form that is if you're running rowing lifting weights uh, chasing your kid whatever it is we're using skeletal muscles and so we're running on primarily carbohydrate yes we are running on some fat as well but the reason that we're running primarily on carbohydrate is that it is so easy for the body to break down for energy so once we've gotten that immediate need carbohydrate to all the cells that need it, the next place of overflow is not directly to fat storage, it is actually to glycogen. So glycogen is carbohydrate storage in these branched forms that are in our liver cells and in skeletal muscle. So we're out, um, I'm an easy example of, you know, going on a long run. So. We're using the carbohydrates that are in our cells, we've got energy, we're on this run. And as we keep going, because we're not currently eating, our body needs to keep the energy flowing in. So it is first pulling from those glycogen stores. And so our glycogen is breaking down. So you can think of it as like breaking off a piece of this big glycogen molecule. So you're basically have like chains of carbohydrate molecules together and we break off a piece and then it goes to our mitochondria which breaks it down into ATP energy and then we keep running. And when you have that hit the wall feeling, it's when your glycogen stores have depleted. So while all of this is, ha is happening, we are also breaking down fat for our energy use, but it takes several more steps for our body to break that fat down and especially when we're being active or using our brain, because that's another big source of carbohydrate needs, um, it takes a lot of work to break that fat down. So we want to have that carbohydrate to have that fuel. Otherwise, we are actually going to sl physically slow down, whether that's mentally not being as sharp and quick or physically slowing down on our run, right? So that's why when you're out doing a long training day, and this is turning into a whole sports nutrition thing now, uh, we have things like, you know, gels and chews and have a banana or a sports drink or something because we're replenishing the carbohydrates so that we can keep going. Okay, so that was my quick and dirty little lesson on carbohydrates for exercise. We're not going to go any more into the nutritional part of that in this episode. Maybe that'll be a future thing, but I wanted to just give you a little background. Obviously, movement 
is a really great thing when used appropriately. It can be a form of self-care. It's stress relief. It can reduce blood pressure. It reduces our risk of many diseases. Exercise can help us improve our mood and our memory. It can help with our mind-body connection. You can actually, as you move through your body more and get used to how it works, you can improve your ability to sense what's going on with you. You can feel more things. And we can make it super enjoyable. Like remember recess or just playing as a kid? We can still do that as adults. We tend to think of things as workouts. Oh, I have to go exercise. I have to go slog away at something. But what if it was play? What if we did games? What if we did things like dancing or something that's just fun for you? And that could look like a whole lot of different things. But exercise and movement should be enjoyable, not just something that we need to grind out. Um, it can be things that are social and we can use, you know, favorite music or podcasts or something to keep us, you know, in a good mood while we're doing it. Uh, and it's, you know, nice to include different types of movement so that we're not getting burnt out. We're having that cross training. So different parts of our body are getting used. So finding different things is really important. And then it's also extremely, extremely important to rest when you need it. We do need to take rest days in order for our muscles and our body to repair. And I would go further and say for our mind to actually want to keep working out. So where we see some problems is a lot of the clients I see are exercising too much. It could be considered compulsive exercise or exercise addiction, but basically it's any time where someone is having trouble not exercising, which may sound silly to some people, but it can become a real compulsion. So that means they're exercising even when they're sick or injured and really shouldn't be. They feel guilty if they miss a day. They skip social events to exercise. They may have difficulty sleeping. And this could actually go either way, the difficulty sleeping. If you're exercising too much or you're not exercising at all, that can impact your sleep. So we do want to find that sweet spot. And exercise is also a problem when it's used as a way of compensating for eating or you're only allowing yourself to eat or eat certain foods or something if you did enough, and I say that in quotes, exercise. And it's also a problem if there is a fear of getting fat or gaining weight or whatever that body image thing is if you don't do X amount of exercise. So those are all things I would consider to be compulsive exercise problems. And these can lead to not only mental issues that, you know, obviously exercise is taking over your life and just like how food becomes a problem in an eating disorder. There are a lot of medical complications that can arise. Some things that can become real problems include, uh, you know, at its worst, sudden cardiac death. So you're not fueling enough, you're overtraining. That can be very hard on your heart and your heart can just stop. So that is actually um, one of the two main reasons that anorexia nervosa has the highest mortality rate of any psychiatric illness is sudden cardiac death because you're not feeling enough, heart can't beat properly. So that always scares me. 
Um, it can cause bone fractures. So we see a lot more fractures, breaks, ligament tears, anything like that in people who are over-exercising and or under-fueling with their exercise. There's also increased risk for amenorrhea or missing periods, which <laughs> leads to those bone fractures. Um, if you aren't aware, so a lot of people are like, oh, not getting a period sounds amazing, which, yeah, that's great. But the reason that it actually is a medical problem um, from you know, our point of view in terms of our, how our body is working, obviously it can affect fertility, but it also impacts our bone health. If our hormones are off and cause amenorrhea, that is a physical sign that our bone density is probably decreasing. That's because estrogen plays a big factor in maintaining our bone density. So if we're having amenorrhea, missing periods, and this you know, contributes to a lot of potential health problems, including increased risk of fractures. And so if you don't have a uterus, well, you know, why is that a big thing? Well, we have taken away, if you've heard the term female athlete triad, it has now been changed to a terminology that's encompassing of all genders and it's called relative energy deficiency in sport, which is um, shortened to red S. It means that someone is not fueling enough for their sport and that they have low bone density. So these are all things that are very concerning when someone is overusing exercise. When you know working through this, we want to make sure that people are taking rest days, or if it's you know at a higher point, if it's at a worse point in severity, we want to actually take some time completely off exercise. So you may be put on exercise restriction by your treatment team, and this is for your own good. It's not because we want to take away movement because again, movement can be a really, really wonderful thing, but it needs to be used appropriately and we need to get rid of the addictive behaviors and make sure that you're medically stable. So the time that you can resume exercise in the context of an eating disorder is pretty much when your team is saying that it's appropriate for you to and giving you probably some constraints on that. And it basically means that you're fueling your body appropriately, that you're medically stable, and that you have a plan that you are going to take rest days and you know exercise appropriately. So totally possible to get back to it. You just need to listen to what the professionals are saying. So some action steps for you to take from this episode would be to list out some activities that you actually love to do or something new that you want to try. This could be really fun. It could be taking a class you haven't taken before, trying something else getting a session set up with a personal trainer, getting outside if you only work out in a gym normally, and find a friend or family member or more people that you could enlist to help move with you and make it more social and fun. So if you're gonna go for a hike, it's probably more fun to do that with someone. If you're gonna go take a new class, it can be less intimidating and more fun if you bring a friend, so something like that. Think about three health and well-being related reasons you want to do these activities that have nothing to do with burning calories. Why is this form of movement going to be important in your life that has nothing to do with weight? 
and then commit to an action plan. What is a reasonable number of days or times or types of activities that feel achievable for you? And I will make the caveat, I don't want it to be seven days a week. We want at least one rest day, potentially more depending on what your fitness level is and where you are in your life, medical ability, if you have an eating disorder, all of that. So please take those into consideration and do ask a professional if you have any questions about that. And make it something that's really attainable for you. So something like, I am going to move my body at least 20 minutes three times a week. And then finding where is that going to fit into your schedule. You know, it's like, oh, if I, a lot of people are, if I don't do it in the morning, I'm never going to do it. But it's okay to work out in the evening if that's what works for your schedule and is enjoyable. There isn't a certain time of day that's better than another. It's whatever works for your lifestyle. So with that, I hope you took some good tidbits from this. I know it was a lot of scattered information, but I wanted to get all of the basics out in this episode so that we can go deeper in future episodes about exercise and nutrition for exercise. So come back next week for the final episode in our intuitive eating series. And I am so happy that you've been here with me. See you soon. Want more? Please find me on social media at Dietitian Libby. Check out my book, Permission to Eat, on Amazon or wherever you buy books online, or go way deeper with accountability in my monthly membership support group, Permission to Eat with Confidence. I'd love to have you join our amazing group of people helping lift each other up and create big wins in their recovery journey. You can learn about all of these on my website, notyouraveragenutritionist.com. Oh, and one last thing. If you love this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and let me know what you specifically love so that I can build on that. Those five-star reviews help it come up in recommended shows so that others can find it and get just as much out of it as you do. If this episode really spoke to you, please take a screenshot and share on social media. Thanks so much.